Okay, guys, Psalm 27, let's just read it together. Reading from the NIV. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, as in the fortress of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, uh, uh, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, nor false witnesses who rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Um, the psalm has three parts. The first part is from one to six, and it expresses confident trust in the Lord. Then it goes to from 7 to 12, pleading out to God for help because David seems to be in some kind of trouble. And then the last few verses, verse 13 actually, <laughs> reiterates that confident trust in the Lord. I love the way it says it. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. So if you want a title for today's teaching, it's uh, confident, confident. And confident basically means to be collected to be cool in all circumstances. Why? Because you know that you will see, as in you will experience, the goodness of God in the land of the living. In, while you are alive. While you are alive. That's where the confidence comes from. To be confident in God is to be collected, calm, cool. In all circumstances, which doesn't mean you don't plead for help like David does from verse 7 to 12. But then you, you start with this confidence, you end with this confidence because you know that the goodness of God is something that you will experience. You will experience. And why am I picking on this right now? Because sometimes when you go marching out against the adversary, you have to realize that the first place you have to march out, before you go marching against the adversary, before you go marching against the adversary, make sure that you go marching into his presence. Things are only going to heat up in the months ahead, guys, for us as a church, because of what God wants to do globally. So before marching against the adversary, march boldly into the presence of God, because confidence is critical during times like this. Because an increasing confidence in God's desire and God's ability to protect us is essential during times like this. An increasing confidence in both God's desire, I must be convinced of his desire, uh, problem with us Christians is we are convinced of the promise, but we are not convinced of his desire. We're convinced of his promise, so we've got to hold on to it for dear life. When you're convinced of God's desire, you don't have to hold on to the promise. You just know that the promise works. Big difference, eh? So an increasing confidence in God's desire and God's ability to protect me is essential. 
I wouldn't attempt half the things I'd attempt if I wasn't confident and increasingly confident of both God's desire and God's ability to protect me. And this is where Proverbs 18.10 kicks in, especially at a time like this. Um, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. It's amazing how anybody under 45 knows that scripture by heart. Guys, songs can be critical in learning scripture, which is why songs like the Inheritance Song will help us see how God wants us to see ourselves and how, God, how we need to see God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I must be more and more confident of God's desire and ability to protect me. I've said this ages ago and I used to repeat it ages ago, so I've stopped, so let me start again. You, you inhabit what you think. You inhabit what you think. If this is the God you think he is, you begin to inhabit that which he now offers. I inhabit what I think. And so global God exploits will only happen through a secure people who hang out in his presence. Global God exploits, global God exploits will only happen through a secure people who hang out in his presence. Global God, global God exploits, as in a global revival that we are talking about that is going to watch the world, watch the world over the next two to three years, will only happen through a secure people. Secure not in their finances, secure not in the size of their church, secure not in great teaching, secure simply in God. It will only happen through a secure people who hang out in his presence who hang out in his presence. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, uh, you should read it. Uh, these were uneducated people who hung out with Jesus and therefore had a boldness or a confidence that took people by surprise. Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage or the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What gave them courage? What gives you boldness? What gives you courage? What gives you confidence? Strangely, it's not learning verses. It's not holding on to a promise. It's not past exploits. What gives you courage, confidence, boldness is when you hang out with Jesus. And hanging out with Jesus is simply another way of saying, I've spent so much time in the presence of God that I have a boldness that I um, never had before. That is what our statement should be. Because the real battle, guys, is always for intimacy. The real battle is always for intimacy. It's not for territory. The real battle is always for intimacy. And so therefore the attack, the real attack will always be uh, in the area of your intimacy with God. If that can be taken away, then uh, your warfare is ineffective. The real battle. David was who he became because of his intimacy with God. The real battle is always for intimacy. Therefore, the real attack will also be in the area of intimacy. And therefore, what you need to guard most and cultivate most and grow in most is intimacy, not territory. Because the enemy can lure us into feeding the city while we are starving ourselves. The enemy can lure us into feeding the city while we are starving ourselves. And it's only a matter of time then before the war is lost. This is why Jesus would not take away from Mary what she was uh, receiving from him. And the ideal combination is to be both Mary, is to be Mary first and then Martha. So, as we go about um, undoing the works of the enemy and advancing the kingdom, always remember that warfare, when it comes to Christianity, warfare is always relational. Warfare is always relational. As in, you can only stand up against Satan after standing in the presence of God. 
you stand in the presence of God and then resist the devil. You stand in the presence of God and resist the devil. Warfare is relational. There is no question of, this is why the demon said, uh, uh, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? Warfare is relational. You, you resist Satan by standing in the presence of God. People without presence are not a threat to the enemy. People without presence are not a threat to the enemy. They are just target practice. It's unfortunate, but it's true. People without presence are not a threat to the enemy. They are just target practice for the enemy. So when your work, when ministry, when um, uh, tasks, when commitments begin to rob you of intimacy, when it begins to rob you of presence, we render ourselves important in a sense because we are no longer a threat to the enemy and we become target practice. The enemy seeks to draw me out from who God has put me in. The enemy tries to draw me out from who God has put me in. The enemy tries to draw me out from who God has put me in. So who has God put me in? Uh, God has put me in Christ and in Christ's body. Who has God put me in? God has put me in Christ and in Christ's body. And so the enemy tries to draw me out of Christ and out of Christ's body. And every time that attempt is made, and there are hundreds and hundreds of Christians to wh whom this is happening, and sometimes through, not sometimes, almost 50% of the time through the way leaders deal with people. But it's a ploy of the enemy to draw out, to draw Christians out from who they are placed in. And who are they placed in? They are placed in Christ and they are placed in Christ's body. And the attempt is to draw them out. And if it's not through strife and hurt and bruising, then it is through circumstances and work and ministry. And the intent is, can I draw Jacob out into striving? Into bitterness? Into uh, um, um, aloneness? As in lone rangerness? Into uh, fretting? Into worrying? into anxiety because of all the tasks because of all the ministry because of all the circumstances because of all these things can i draw him out into a place of fear because if i can then i can render him pretty tame we think it is wise to show a little worry it is not wisdom to show worry. It is self-reliance and sin. Worry is a sign of self-reliance in my life and of sin. Anxiety, worry, fretting is a sign of my self-reliance and sin. Anxiety, worry, fear, fretting, these things happen when I set the course of action based on either my desire or my plans. When I calculate things without God, when I calculate things without God, when I calculate things without God, and when I have a lack of confidence, when I have a lack of confidence in God's power-bound goodness, I know I haven't used this word before, but I'll talk about it today. God's power-bound goodness. His goodness is power-bound. It's bound in power. 
His goodness is not just a passive kind of a goodness. His goodness is wrapped in power. It's like when you um, wrap a sausage in a strip of bacon. It's like that. I don't know why that image came to mind. Uh, erase, erase. Uh, we can think of other things that are wrapped. I just have to grab my coffee. Where's my coffee? Oh, pardon? I can't hear you, Brandon. Okay, Kevin has a question. Kevin, why do you have questions? Does being in the presence of God always mean participating in one of the spiritual disciplines or is it possible to seek, seek God's presence in an unconventional way? I would answer it by saying, does be, uh, and uh, Kevin, I'm just um, using you and Sandy as an example, would being in the presence of Sandy always mean participating in one of the marital disciplines that will make your marriage better or is it possible to seek Sandy's presence in an unconventional way? And the answer would be absolutely yes. You could seek it in an unconventional way, doing something absurd like mm, jumping uh, off a plane, free falling for the first 80 meters and then uh, letting the parachutes take over and stuff like that. Uh, don't try that. <laughs> yeah. So you can do it unconventionally. Most of, most of my best times with God have been through unconventional ways. Guys, remember something. Discipline is only, discipline is only, <laughs> this is a process of uh, how it should work. First should come delight. Delight leads to discipline, uh, which creates a habit, which then re cycles back to create more delight. What, what has happened through um, this whole practice of spiritual discipline is we start here and then hope we will get this and we definitely get this. So we definitely get a habit out of discipline, but we get no delight. Every time God wants me to cultivate a discipline, he first gives me delight. This is why good athletes enjoy what they do. Good athletes enjoy what they do. They really delight in their sport. And so when they run 10 kilometers or do 80 push-ups, it's because uh, they actually delight in their sport. Even when they're not playing, they still practice. Why? Because delight has to come first, then discipline, then that creates a habit. But what we've done in Christianity is we've paid so much attention to discipline that all we create is a habit, we create no delight. May says that one of the unconventional ways that she um, connects with God, I, I don't fully agree with what May is doing, but is by biking. <laughs> and uh, when she bikes, his presence is always with her. Different strokes for different folks. What can you say? Biking is her thing. Mine is driving. Whenever I drive, I feel the presence of God. This is like taking chariots of fire and using it wherever you want to. <laughs> yeah, so remember this, guys. This is so important. Fretting, worrying, anxiety, fear are a result of me setting the course. Where it's my desire that I'm pursuing, where I determine my own course or my desire. Two, I calculate without God. And three, I think, I, 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 I lack a confidence in God's power-bound goodness. That is when worrying, fretting, uh, anxiety and fear come. When people come and say to you that, oh, I worry a lot, uh, please pray for me, take them down this road. Because you can pray for them all you want, man. But if this ain't broken, uh, it just keeps repeating itself. When you set your course based on what God has said, when you calculate things with God in the picture, and when you have a confidence in God's power-bound goodness, you sleep well. You're not checking your phone every time it buzzes to see what the answer is. We'll talk about that a little more. And it's my mind, not my heart, 
where I need to receive the goodness and goodness and the love of God. We, we've, we've learned how to receive the goodness of God in our heart. Problem is it creates feelings and feelings go away. We must go from a place of faith and feelings to knowledge. Knowledge is a great place to have these things realized. If my mind can comprehend the goodness of God, then I begin to think correctly about God. And the moment I start thinking correctly about God, the lens that I use to look at life is correct. Charismatic Christians in particular are caught up in, I know the goodness of God in my heart, great, but tomorrow it may disappear and then what do you do? But I need to know the goodness of God. Once I know it, once I have the knowledge of it, you don't need faith anymore, man, nor do you need feelings. When was the last time you needed feelings of faith uh, for gravity? Or for breathing? Why? Because you know that gravity works and you know that without knowing you're inhaling even through that mask of yours, Don. Guys, don't think that just because you wear a mask that I cannot see you yawn. I can still see you yawn. My mind is a place to receive the goodness of God. Because if I think correctly about God, I will then have the right lens to view the world. And then, once I think correctly about God, the image of God that I project is what people will be attracted to. This is why it is so critical that at an early age, people be taught to experience the goodness of God and to experience um, uh, stepping out for God, to experience uh, huge leaps of faith, to experience uh, miracles or to expect miracles. Teach them while they are young. This is critical, guys. I, it, it makes more and more sense to see why God wants to have this revival touch the young first. Because if, if, if an 18-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 21-year-old can experience God as a miracle worker, promise keeper, way maker, not in a song, but as in stepping out because this is who I believe God is then for the rest of their lives, it doesn't matter whether they got results or not. They are convinced in their heart like gravity that it works. Never changes. I remember about six months after I became a believer, uh, uh, I was in uh, six months or one year. Sorry, go ahead. What about those of us that suffer from mental illness and the worry, etc. is part of the body that we inhabit? That's different. We are talking about External circumstances, not sickness. Like there are people that have uh, certain paranoid conditions that can be frightening. We're not talking about the sickness part of it. We are talking about fretting, worrying, anxiety and fear that come from external circumstances because we do this. I think it was six months or a year into being a Christian and... Um, um, I remember, uh, this was in Bahrain, and I remember going to this hospital because there was a 13 or 14 year old kid called Shahzad, Muslim boy, who was in a coma. And someone connected me to his parents. And so I would go every day to the hospital at a certain time. And the parents um, had heard that uh, I believe that God heals. Because those are the people that I grew up under, not the parents. I grew up in a church where healing was uh, normal. It was expected. So they heard that God heals, that the Christian God heals. So they would allow me to come into the hospital, sit with this boy and uh, pray. And uh, I remember praying every day. Then I would sit and read uh, chapters from the Bible. The parents would listen. And I knew the boy's spirit was alive even though he was in a coma. Fourth day, uh, he died. And I remember going up to the pastor, and the pastor was Chantel's dad. Uh, I, um, I remember going up to him when I heard that the boy had died. And my immediate response was, uh, get, uh, I just heard Shahzad died. And so here was the immediate response. We've got to go raise him up. It was the most natural thing to think. We've got to go raise him up. Why? Because Jesus does that, so we've got to go raise him up. And so instead of... Uh, telling me uh, to think sanely instead of telling me uh, 
uh, not to uh, go overboard. Chantal's dad, who was a pastor then, said, okay. And this man who pastors a church saw my tiny little desire and faith and said, let's go. So we go to the hospital. We go to the hospital and uh, uh, they are taking his body to the mosque. So I say to Bonnie, uh, we got to uh, go to the mosque. And now it's a Muslim country, so we go to the mosque. And so the boy's body is laid out. And so I go to the parents and say, uh, do you want me to pray for him and try to raise him from the dead here? And they said it's not such a good idea because <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be <laughs> smart to do that. So I said, okay. And so we wait for him to be buried. And uh, I remember standing over his grave after they buried him. And the burial place was not too far from where I used to live. And uh, uh, I remember turning to the pastor and saying, we've got to go and pray even though he's buried. So he said, okay. And so I stand over the grave and I'm saying, Father, uh, this is no big deal for you because dead is dead, whether it's underground or overground, it's no big deal for you. So tonight after everybody is gone, could you just raise him from the dead and perhaps send an angel so he can know how to come to my house? And then I'll take care of him from here on. Just bring him at night so he's not in trouble and nobody knows it and we'll deal with it, Jesus. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that after some time, may you come back to life and f may God lead you to my place. It's not too far. This was what I was praying. And this pastor stood there and agreed, as in encouraged and agreed. This story is not to tell you about how foolish or how naive I was. The story is to tell you how had that man stopped me then I don't think I'd ever had had the courage to continue going down this road that I've gone. You've got to catch Tate, Finn, Ari, Isaiah, Maya, Jocelyn, Phoebe. You've got to catch them young and tell them this is the only God we know. And if that isn't your faith, if your faith doesn't match the Jesus of the Bible, be quiet. But in the places that it matches the Jesus of the Bible, speak. Encourage the young adults. I'm glad I got them at this age. Can you imagine if they came at my age? They'd be so stuck up. Confidence increases. This is a loaded line, so I have to write it down. Confidence increases. Confidence increases as you entwine yourself with God. Entwine yourself with God. Confidence increases as you entwine yourself with God and wait with anticipation. Wait with anticipation. Obeying his goodness. Not trusting his goodness, but obeying his goodness. Obeying his goodness. Even when Samuel is late to the sacrifice. So, confidence increases as you, don't need to underline that, increases as you entwine. As in, the, the, the idea of entwining is the whole idea of the more time I hang out in his presence. Confidence increases as you entwine yourself with God and wait with anticipation. You do not wait with passive re resignation. You wait with anticipation. I I've said this before, but the idea of the word wait in the Old Testament is always that of a person whose neck is craned out in anticipation as if something is going to happen. The waiting is never passive, never resigned, never tolerant. It is so full of anticipation. Confidence increases as you entwine yourself with God and wait with anticipation, obeying his goodness. 
It's one thing to trust his goodness. It's another thing to obey his goodness. What's the difference? Trusting his goodness is saying, yeah, I trust you, you are good. Obeying his goodness is, we're not even talking about whether I trust your goodness or not. Or not. That's, that's, that's given. I obey your goodness. As in, I'm obedient to the fact that you are good and it doesn't matter how long you tell me to wait. It doesn't matter that nothing has happened. That today is the third day, today is the fourth day, today is the fifth day. It does not matter because I obey your goodness. You're a good God. You're watching out for me. I have absolutely no doubt in my head that you are good. Days, time does not change who you are. I obey your goodness. Trusting goodness is to say, I trust you, okay, I'll trust you again. No, obeying is different, man. It's like there's no choice. I don't have to even argue about your goodness because that's a given. A child never goes up to its parent and says, I trust you that you will give me breakfast today. It's a given. The child goes, sits at the table, doesn't matter that the parent has woken up late. It doesn't matter that the parent had a late night. The parent got busy. The parent is on a call. The child sits at the table because the child knows that breakfast is going to come. He obeys the goodness of his parent because he's already there on time. And it doesn't matter that it's taking time. Obeying his goodness, even when Samuel is late to the sacrifice. That's where Saul messed up, right? In 1 Samuel 10.8, it says, Saul, wait for seven days. Seven days go by a little longer, not by much. And he doesn't want to wait any longer. He falls into the pressure of people and his soldiers deserting him and so he offers a sacrifice. And First Samuel 13, 8, Samuel turns up. He turns up a little late. So what? So what if God said nine months and it's taking ten months? Does that make you doubt his faithfulness and goodness? Man, when you look back at your life, all you see is faithfulness. God sometimes allows or restricts in his wisdom what he can prevent or permit in his power. God sometimes allows or restricts in his goodness what he can easily permit or prevent in his power. God allows or restricts in his goodness, sorry, God, al God allows or restricts in his wisdom, in his wisdom, God allows or restricts in his wisdom what he can prevent or permit in his power. As soon as you write the sentence down, the immediate question that rises in all our minds or some of our minds, is does that mean God can allow or permit harm to me? That's the immediate question that rises up. Deuteronomy 32.10 I found you in a windswept wasteland and I drew you to myself and I said, you're the apple of my eye. Zechariah 2.8 Zechariah 2.8 Anyone who touches you touches the pupil of my eye. God saying it. Eh? <laughs> Anyone who touches you I'm just giving you two scriptures, just two scriptures. But we got to, once we understand power-bound goodness, our confidence increases, and we're not too bothered that certain things that we thought were going to come our way hasn't come yet. That God could easily do it. Why isn't he doing it? We're not caught up in that. Our confidence is not zapped because something that was supposed to happen yesterday hasn't happened yet. Why? Because sometimes God allows or restricts in his wisdom what can be prevented or permitted in his power. And we'll talk about it some more. But we, this question that does God 
allow harm? Will he permit harm to me? You should destroy that with these two verses. If he says that I found you, Jacob, in a windswept wasteland and I drew you to myself and you are the apple of my eye and in Zechariah 2.8, he's talking about Jerusalem, but it applies to you. And he says, Jacob, anyone who touches you, touches the pupil of my eye. Is there harm going to come? Is he a self-inflicting God? Does he harm himself? Well, if he doesn't harm himself, he ain't going to harm you because he says, anyone who touches you, touches the pupil of my eye. You think he's exaggerating? He's just being poetic? Power-bound goodness. Let me explain that. Power-bound goodness. It's a very... His goodness is a reality because his power is absolute. Selah. His goodness is a reality. You may want to do good. You may want to. You may, may want to do good to every Canadian that lives in this land. But there's squat you can do about it because you got zero power. Forget Canada. You may want to do good to Acts 29, but there's not much you can do about it because of that pastor who, at present, leads the church. You got power, but he's got a little more. He who has power decides what can be done. Point is, God's goodness is a reality because he has absolute power. This is why he can be good. This is why you receive his goodness. This is why you can be sure of his goodness. There is nobody, nothing that can stop him from being good because he is the one who has absolute power. This is why I call it power-bound goodness. It should create a certain confidence in your heart that he is good and nothing can stop him from being good to me or from that goodness reaching to me. Because very often we know that he is good but we're not sure if his goodness will come to you. Who can stop him? He ain't going to stop himself. Because he said that... I am gracious and compassionate, full of mercy, and rich in loyal love. So he ain't going to stop himself, because if he did, he wouldn't be true to himself. So who can stop him? You think you can stop him? Try. You'll succeed for a while. But loyal love overwhelms. Never separate the lamb from the lion, guys. If the lamb is good... The lion is powerful. Do not separate the lion and the lamb. I heard this story recently on, I think, 700 Club. It's about this boy who was from a Muslim background uh, and he goes by the name Raymond now, I think. So he, um, he started drinking, became alcoholic, and at a very young age started um, uh, um, stealing cars and stuff like that. And then one day in just uh, being completely drunk, he got into an altercation at, with someone at a pub and... Uh, before he knew it, he had stabbed the guy nine times. And obviously he went to prison. Surprisingly, the man survived, so it wasn't a murder. And he was in prison for a while, came out of prison. And then uh, two of his cousins took him to a young adult or youth group meeting. And for the first time, he realized that this God is very different from anything or anyone he's known and he began to um, reach out to God but um, still couldn't give up alcohol, couldn't give up uh, his ways. And uh, one night he was driving a car 
that wasn't his with a fake ID and a false set of insurance papers. And he was not supposed to be in a vehicle because he was not allowed to drive. And he's driving this car and he comes to a stoplight and a police car pulls up behind him. And he knows he's going back to prison, that he's violated the conditions of his release. And as he's sitting there, just so scared of this cop car behind him, he hears his voice and it says to him, they can come as close as they want to you, but unless I give the word, they cannot touch you. And he kind of knows this is a God that he had reached out to, but uh, he thinks to himself, really, can he do this? And uh, the light turns green. The cop car follows him, turns off and goes off. And then he begins to say to himself, ah, just my imagination, not true. And uh, as he's heading home, uh, he comes to another traffic light and this time there's a co another cop car pulls up behind him. And now his heart sinks and he regrets what he did earlier, saying, I should have, now I don't have a hope. And then he begins to call out to God and while he's calling out to God, the cop car turns on its lights and siren. And he just gets so bitter that this God didn't help him out. And he's just waiting for the cop to come out and the car pulls out and goes chasing after somebody else. And that is when he steps. And he, uh, as he's waiting there and the lights are going off, he hears that voice again. And the voice says, they can come as close as they want to you. But unless I give the word, they cannot touch you. And that's when the car speeds off and goes off. And he just steps out of the car, starts bawling and surrenders his life to Jesus Christ so completely that today he uh, is working with prisoners and young people. And it's got such an amazing story. What blew me away about the story is the power that God has and the goodness that comes wrapped in that power. You've got to see his power as, see his goodness as wrapped in power, that there, he, the, the reason he can be as good as he wants to is because he's got absolute power over everything. This kind of goodness nobody has and nobody can stop. I've been condemned to goodness by a God who has tremendous power. I'm condemned to goodness. Hear me, I am condemned to the goodness of God. And it is a goodness that reaches me, that comes to me, that is full because he has absolute power and there is nothing or nobody that can stop his goodness from washing over me every day because this is his nature every day. You inhabit what you think, you inhabit what you expect. This then begins to give you the confidence to step into massive God exploits unafraid because you have heard him. You should not need any convincing or persuasion after this, guys. We may fall off this, but we can jump back on this. But we should never need to be convinced or persuaded of this. This is as clearly as God can speak to you and me. Don't think this is Jacob saying it to you. I plead with you. This is as clearly as God can speak to you and me. Don't doubt it for the rest of your life. And even if you fall off the wagon, climb back on. You know, trusting in his goodness, trusting in his goodness allows wisdom, allows his wisdom to have full access, to have full unrestricted access 
to have full unrestricted access to shape and direct your life, to shape and direct your life. I'll explain that, but it is a beautiful line. Trusting in his goodness allows trusting in his goodness allows his wisdom to have full unrestricted access to shape and direct your life. And so you don't prematurely short circuit what he's trying to accomplish. You don't prematurely short circuit. You don't prematurely short circuit the process. So examples from the Bible, and then perhaps you can relate to it a little better. John chapter 11. Jesus trusted God's goodness. So it's okay for him to hear about Lazarus' death and know that his father is good and not go immediate. Uh, Lazarus' sickness and know that his father is good. And in the, um, uh, despite the clamor of his best friend's sisters, come do something, he stays back. Because he allows, he trusts in the goodness of God and it allows the wisdom of God to have full access to shape and direct lives, not just your life. And so he goes four days later. Wisdom has its... Wisdom, wisdom matures in my... The wisdom of God has full effect on my life, full effect in my life when I trust his goodness. And therefore, I am sure that it's okay. It's okay that I don't go today. It's okay that news didn't come today. It's okay that things have been delayed. It's okay that, why? Because I know you are good. You are taking care of this. Now God says, all right, now that you know that I am good and you can wait with anticipation, let my wisdom go to work and I will bring you to completion. I will make everything full and complete. All of us are in such a hurry to get things done either because of peer pressure or parental pressure or the demands of the world or the demands of ministry or the demands of this or the demands of that or deadlines. This is the God who holds time in his hands and slows it down or hurries it. One of the signs of mature Christianity is the ability not to rush things. Exodus 33, another instance, where Moses is on the mountain and he's not, he's not happy that God is going to send an angel with him. He's not... He, he, he's willing to wait till... God shows his glory to Moses and in the process Moses gains so much wisdom, so much wisdom. Any other leader would have said, all right, you send an angel with us, great, I'll go with an angel because your angels are pretty powerful. We settle for less when we do not know his goodness. We settle for less when we do not know his goodness. We play divine stock markets when we do not know his goodness. Oh, the price is high, let's buy it. Oh, we may never get this opportunity again. Or you take uh, Acts 27. That's such a cool passage. Paul is telling them, listen, I know my God is good. Why don't you just trust me? Let's not abandon, let's not jump off this boat. No harm will come. He is trying to preserve 276 lives because his God has said to him, no harm is going to come to you, Paul. You're going to go get to Rome. And none of those traveling with you, with you will either come to harm. Trust in the goodness of God. And he lets the wisdom of God take over. He breaks bread with them. All 276 survive. When you trust the goodness of God, the wisdom of God has unrestricted access to your life and through your life, affecting a whole lot of people. This is not about being cautious. This is about being so confident of the goodness of God that you are okay as God works things out. Destroy false deadlines. Destroy false expectations. Destroy false demands.
let me close with my last 16 points. Pray with maturity, guys. Learn to pray with maturity. And what do you mean by learning? Learn to pray with maturity. Find out what God wants. Find out what God wants. Then ask Him to do it. I sometimes feel bad that my prayers are very short. Uh, like I feel guilty because pastors are supposed to pray long. Especially when you have a request and I pray only for a minute. I feel kind of guilty. Like I try to come up with other things to say about you that are nice or that are pleady kind of things. But what do you do when you kind of find out what God wants and then ask him to do it and that's the end of prayer? But I would suggest that we learn to do that because it gives you a whole lot of time to do other things. Once you hear him clearly... Then know that, okay, you know what God wants you, you know what God wants you to do. You've asked him to do it. Now begin to step out with confidence, knowing that God will only demand that which he has already deposited in you. God will only demand that which he has already deposited in you. There's nothing that God asks of you that he hasn't already put in you. You may not know the extent of it, but he knows it. Even with this global revival that we are talking about and the costs that we may have to pay for it, be it financial or physical or spiritual, God has already given us all that we need and so he will only demand that which he has already deposited in us. God only demands that which he has already deposited in us. 16 years he's been depositing things at Acts 29. Now he's saying, I'm demanding it. It's already there. Learn to adventure with the Spirit, guys. Learn to adventure with the Spirit. And I know this is a double negative, but learn to adventure with the Spirit by not being scared of nothing happening. Learn to adventure with the Spirit by not being scared with nothing happening. Sometimes we are so scared that we will go pray, we will do this and nothing will happen. Don't be scared of it. Nor be scared of getting it right. Maturity is not getting it right. Maturity is the ability to... Live out of confidence. Getting it right is just getting it right. But living out of confidence, I mean, when you look at Hebrews 11, there were so many people who did what they did out of sheer confidence. They never got what they were looking for. Don't worry about getting it right. Don't worry about nothing happening. Live out of confidence. You cannot adventure with God unless you live out of confidence. And if you look at what we've spoken about, you will learn some of the ways of confidence. Sometimes, guys, God will delay answering uh, some of the things we ask for just to ensure our future. Because for him, learning and timing is everything. So sometimes answers are delayed just because he has to ensure your future. I, I, I look at certain things happening in my life right now and I think to myself, but I asked for this 20 years ago and it's happening now. Why? Because I'm only ready for it now. The problem with the prophetic nowadays is as soon as someone prophesies, you think it's going to happen tomorrow morning when you wake up. But when you look at the Old Testament... Every time someone was prophesied on, they went through a process so that they would be ready to walk in the prophetic. Take Joseph, take Abraham, take David. I think in the Old Testament, people were afraid of being prophesied on. You will be king. All right, let's start running like a refugee. You will be the prime minister of Egypt. All right, I will be sold as a slave. You will be the father of faith. All right, I'll be important for the next 25 years. You will save the earth and start creation again. All right, I'll be building a boat for the next 30 years. I will live at least a year with animals all around me, including cats. So every time there was a prophetic word, people would, I guess, half dread it. It's us that, it was prophesied that I'd get married tomorrow morning, I'm getting married. No! Derek, no. The point is this, guys. 
Sometimes God delays answering to ensure your future because learning and timing is everything. Sometimes God delays answering to engage me in a conversation to reveal his heart and to reveal my heart. Sometimes God delays answering to engage you in a conversation to reveal his heart and to reveal your heart. And so here's the key. If you, if you, if you suspect or if you detect that there is a process in the answer. As in, if you detect that, hmm, been asking and he hasn't been doing much about it. If, there, if you detect that, if there is a process, if you detect that there is a process in the answer, there's a process in the answer. If you detect that there's a process in the answer, the key is relationship. The key is relationship. And so what you need to do is revisit the pause in the answer without resentment. Get a sense of what God is trying to do. Get a sense of what God is trying to do. Get a sense of what God is trying to do and match his stride or pace. So there are many times where I have received a sure word, an absolute promise from God that I do not have to uh, doubt, but it's taking too long to come to pass. Sometimes it's taking one and a half years to come to pass, sometimes two years. And so I realized then that he's not stopping me, he's not rebuking me, uh, but it's not coming to pass. And you begin to suspect that there's other things he wants to do. So that is when you know there's a process in the answer that you have to go through. And whenever you suspect that, uh, the key is relationship. The key is not more prayer, the key is not more fasting. Man, we do so many Christian things that are so sucky. What we really need to do is go back into this place of relationship. Because if there is process in the answer, the key is relationship. And you revisit the pause or the place where you stopped without resentment. That's another hard thing. And we go back to the place and why and we write lamentations. But revisit the pause without resentment because you are engaged in a relationship. You get a, get a sense of what God is trying to do. I won't, I won't share the story, but when I immigrated to um, Canada, it took a year and a half. It was a sure promise. Five times I had to go to get this done. It was a sure promise. But my God, there was a process, and the process was brilliant. The key was relationship. There was never resentment. Till it came to pass. And you see the same thing with Joseph. His hands were put in shackles, his legs were put in shackles, and the word of the Lord tested him and proved him. And then he rose from here to here. Guys, I assure you, because God is far too interested in you, and far too interested in the influence you have, you will have on people, you try to bypass this, <laughs> it's just pointless. Moses tried to bypass it, killed an Egyptian in the bargain. Last point. Yeah, and when you, when you match his stride and pace, do it without fretting, without fretting. Yeah, that, that word is without fretting just in case you can't make it out. I could write better, but then I would have to bend, and that would be too much work. So that's what you get. Yeah. It's Gaelic for without fretting. Yeah. Um, last point, recapture childlike wonder. 
recapture childlike wonder. The Shahzad story that I shared was something I shared uh, a couple of, uh, 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 10 days ago somewhere. Um, but uh, that's why it's so fresh in my mind. But after I shared that 10 days ago, I thought to myself, man, I'd like to recapture childlike wonder where uh, at this age, having pastored a church for a while, I must still return to childlike wonder, not heavy stuff, because there's a lot of heavy stuff at Acts 29. But what if I could recapture childlike wonder and yet do heavy stuff? Childlike wonder. Because without an immediate sense of wonder about God, without an immediate sense of wonder about God, as in without an immediate sense of wonder about God, uh, I will be dull to his long-term mandates and I will be blind to his short-term maneuvers. Without childlike wonder, because God at the end of the day is very fatherly and very simple. You should still relish the little things with God that only come through intimacy and relationship. Little things that he does for you. Like my dad uh, would take me to the marketplace. Uh, it was an out, outdoors market, outdoor marketplace and then I had to carry the bags. That was my job. But at the end of the day, after I've carried the bags, he'd take me to this place where they would make sugarcane juice. You take these sugar canes, put it through a machine that someone spins like this, out would come fresh sugarcane juice. Or he'd take me to a favorite restaurant where I liked a particular thing. I never knew what to expect when I went out with my dad to an outdoor marketplace because I knew there would be something that would be waiting. Little things. And so every marketplace experience would be, ah, oh, shucks, what's going to happen? This is worth carrying the bags for. Because he never knew. Recovered childlike wonder without an immediate sense of wonder about God. Without an immediate sense of wonder. Not when we worship. Hey, we can never capture the wonder of God in worship if we don't know how to see it in the little things that he does for us. Every, uh, every few minutes of the day. Without an immediate sense of wonder about God, I will be dull to his long-term mandates and blind to his short-term maneuvers. Dull to his long-time mandates and blind to his short-time maneuvers. Uh, Diana says, can he please repeat the statement, without an immediate sense of wonder about God, I will be dull Two, long-term mandates and blind to short-term maneuvers. Kevin Ray, does going back into relationship mean seeking God's presence more? Mm, no. Going back into relationship means um, leaning back into what you already have with the Father. Every situation at present can only be handled with what I presently have. Tomorrow I can increase in it. But I want, what I work with today is what I have. Every crisis, every problem only exposes what I presently have. I can't become friends with you while I'm drowning. <laughs> I can only trust that I am friendly enough with you and that you will save me. Let's pray. Ah, oh, shucks, it's 9.27. Sorry, not really. Father, I got three minutes to pray. Thank God we don't all turn into pumpkins at 9.30, Father. Father, so that is a really bad joke. So, Father, there are so many little tidbits in today's teaching. Actually, I didn't know what title to give it because it's all over the place. I wanted to call it Random Thoughts. But then that sounded so unchurchy that I went with Psalm 27 confident, but we just touched on the last verse of Psalm 27. So the title is just totally wrong. Might as well confess it now, Father. 
These are random thoughts that are brilliant. I please ask, Father, that some of these may become part of my life. Especially the bit about power-bound goodness. That, that what I said some time ago, Father, I don't even have it in my notes. That really affected me and I pray that I can hold on to it. I pray that all of us can find these random nuggets from today's teaching. It, it's basically that. It wasn't anything else, Father. I will see you tomorrow. Palm Sunday tomorrow, Jesus. Good to relive what you went through. So we'll see you tomorrow morning. The strange thing is you'll see us continuously and then we get together. And yeah, I don't know how to end. Anyways, Father, see ya.